what's going on, everyone? Welcome to the Just the West podcast. I'm your host, Just the West, and we have a special, special pod uh, because it's a crossover. I have my my colleague, Jason Wang, on the line. Jason, are you there? I'm here. Glad to be here, Justin. I um I appreciate your time, and I, I did a podcast earlier with with my usual co-host, Camo. We did a breakdown of you know the previous week in the divisional round with the Niners and, and the Packers. But it's funny because uh, your allegiances are uh, – I, I thought you were a Packer fan because of Aaron Rodgers. But now for, for this year, at, at least, you're a Jared Goff Detroit Lions fan. And that's kind of why I have you on the spot. Can you give a little bit of context to, to your fanship, I guess? Well, for some reason, back in uh, 1994, uh, the NFL decided to uproot the two L.A. teams right. for reasons we don't know. Growing up in LA, as a result, I didn't really have a team to root for. Uh, naturally, I latched on to the Raiders. Two teams, nope. yes, yeah, the Raiders was one, but then they went to Oakland. Didn't know much about it. Screw that. But I, I actually latched on to two kind of strange teams just because of the color scheme. The first was the Packers, green, like the color green. Thought it was an awesome uniform. Thought the idea that they owned their the city owns the team kind of cool idea. And then randomly Jacksonville, because the teal color, I liked the oh, cheetahs kind of feline. Yeah. Right. The, the, the cat type of mascot. Anyways, both teams had a brief run in the nineties. Packers won a super bowl. Uh, Jacksonville made a bit of a run uh, with Brunel, Fred Taylor, Tony Baselli, and then kind of tailed off, went to college First year, 2004, Cal should have gone to the Rose Bowl. Aaron Rodgers was our QB, basically was there at a, the peak. Uh, and ever since then, didn't really have an NFL team, so I naturally adopted the Packers once Rodgers got the starting job in 2007. Right. Uh, and then in 2015, uh, when Goff had his breakout season at Cal, naturally followed him from being a project to the number one overall pick became an adopted Rams fan once the Rams moved back and they drafted Jared Goff with the number one overall pick. Uh, and since then been kind of pledging allegiance to whatever team those two quarterbacks are on. When, when you attended uh Cal Berkeley was, was Jared Goff the, the quarterback or was it Nate Longshore? What, 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 what tenure what, what was this? No, when, unfortunately uh, I'm old enough that it was Rogers and okay. then it was a uh, Longshore afterwards. Gotcha. And then from afar after, after college, you followed Goff and, well, you know, you saw him being the top pick in the draft and his highs and lows, obviously, in the NFL, right? Correct. Cal had a bit of a drought in terms of football and basketball in the mid-2010s, but there was a brief jolt in the middle of the 20, I think the 2015 season once they signed uh, Jalen Brown, uh, Ivan Rabb, and then one more person whose name I, escapes me. And then they also got uh, Jared Goff uh, as a recruit from was the last good recruit from the Ted for years rolled over to the Sunny Dykes uh, air raid offense. So right. there was another brief little uptick uh, in Cal sports, which in an otherwise very futile 2010s uh, decade. Well, rolling you bears and uh, you know, for Cal Berkeley, uh, are, are they still in the pack two 12? Did they officially are the ACC now? Remind me again. I know it, I know uh, it right now. Yeah. Uh, for some reason, a campus where from the nice view spot, you can see the Pacific ocean. They are now playing in the uh, Atlantic coast conference. 
the ACC. That is right. Okay. Well, what what a time to be alive. And uh, I, I appreciate you on the pod. And more importantly, you go from, I don't know, divisional rivals. You go from the Packers to the Lions. And I, I appreciate your insight because uh, it, it's a good pod. I have a lot of colleagues that are Rams fans, Raider fans, Seahawks fans, but not really Lions fans. And so this is a good opportunity. As the Niners go, Brock Purdy, for that matter, this is his, um, he goes back-to-back NFC championships. Obviously, the last one was short-lived with the elbow injury. And, you know, for, for these Niners, they're they're not getting any younger. This is their core. They are ready to go. And uh, the elephant in the room is, you know, if they don't win this game, I mean, you know, for Shanahan and Purdy and for all, for all these guys, I mean, th- there's a lot of pressure on them. On the other hand, you have, you know, for for Dan Campbell and these Lions, they've, in three years' time, they've drafted well. They've made some, I won't say controversial picks, but, you know, from Jabari Gibbs to Jack Campbell, they've made some picks that aren't necessarily the standard for, for drafting players and, and building a franchise. But you look at them now and, you know, they are in the NFC Championship game. They are, quote, unquote, the, the darling of the NFL. Um, you know, they, they hadn't been in the playoffs, let alone in the NFC Championship game since the 90s. And so it's a great matchup. And you have the Niners favored by seven. I, I think it opened at six and a half. I've seen some lines at seven, seven and a half. I think the over-under is, is is about 51 and a half right now. So, I mean, you know, I haven't done a crossover pod in a long time, if at all. But I'll go ahead and, and give you kind of the... I'll, I'll give you first dibs. I mean... Just initial thoughts, big picture. How, how do you view this game? Do you do you view the Lions as like, I don't know, the hot team right now? They're coming off a very triumphant win with a game-winning interception at home. They've been at home for the, the last couple games, but you're going to Levi Stadium. You're going to outdoors. You're going to the Bay Area. And uh, notably, Jerry Goff has been a dome sort of quarterback lately. So, I mean, what, what, what say you with all this? Well, the whole irony is that the Dan Campbell and Jared Goff regime started with a home game against the Niners in the 2021 season. Uh, if you remember from that game, the Niners raced out to a huge lead, which was uh, helped by, a, uh, I think, a Dre Greenlaw interception or pick six of uh, Jared Goff. That was week then, one. Of that yeah, season. week one. Correct. That was the very first game uh, of the regime. But they kind of followed the Dan Campbell mentality of grit, biting kneecaps, yada, yada. And they clawed their way back i don't know if you remember but they actually made it 41 33 and then i just recently rewatched the game so it's kind of fresh in my mind they got a fumble on debo samuel they drove down but they weren't able to finish in the game ended 41 33 but i think what i wanted to kind of emphasize was that kind of resembled what the whole dan campbell mentality is and that's we're gonna fight you and we're gonna get back up if you guys punch us down even though they had basically very little talent on that team, uh, probably I think it was Panay Sewell and Amon Ross St. Brown's first game. And I think they had Hawkinson and then a whole bunch of people that went to the waiver wires or were cut the next year. But they fought. And as a result, the slow progress of the rebuild, uh, starting from the vision of uh, Sheila Ford and then hiring Dan Campbell, uh, hiring Brad Holmes uh, from the Rams. That's right. Started uh, from that game. And then I think uh, midway through that season, they had a game with the Vikings. They were 0-10 and something one. And then they won the play on a very last play 
won the game on the very last play. It was uh, Jared Goff to Amon Ross St. Brown on a very similar route that they used to close out the Rams game. Kind of one of those choice options, 10 yards out, and then yeah. he squatted. And then that was probably uh, probably the bottom, if you want to say, uh, of the era. And it's been uh, a really good climb from there. Next year, started out slow. The defense was terrible. They fired their pass, uh, pass defense coordinator, Aubrey Pleasant, I believe his name was. Turn it around midseason from one and six, won eight out of the last two, beat Aaron Rodgers uh, in Lambeau in a game which they probably should have had a chance to win if some mysterious flags weren't thrown in the Rams and Seahawks game earlier. Oh, that's but, right. That was last season. Oh, I do tell totally Yeah, know. it did. But what what probably stood out and what a lot of Lions reporters called the franchise changing moment was the fact that they were able to not lay down and even though they had nothing to play for, still go out, still kick out the bully uh, of the NFC North Rodgers and then next season carry over the momentum to the Kansas City kickoff game. A lot of people were probably nervous. The TV producers, oh, if we put the Lions on here, what if it's SOL, same old Lions? They go out, they get waxed by 28 points, viewership goes down, yada, yada. But obviously they pull off the uh, quote-unquote upset. upset uh, and it was called a, you know asterisk game by Mike Tirico for some reason because of the missing Chris Jones and Kelsey. But it really did help propel the start of the 2023 season. Hey, maybe these guys are for real. Uh, fast forward, finish the season out strong, 12 and 5 season won their first division title in 30 years i believe 1993 was the last one that they won it was part of the nfc central at that time and even the tampa near tampa bay bucks have actually won the nfc north more recently than the lions believe it or not but they host yeah (laughs) (laughs) no they won it in 1997 i believe Okay, they okay. won the NFC what North. Did. What was the what was at that time the NFC North? So that was a lot of irony behind that. And then hosted their first playoff game. You know the backstory. McVeigh, Goff, Stafford, Lions, twenty four, twenty three, a, a close one. Uh, and another controversial one. You can you can say with the refs and Puka and could have been Pi. I I don't know that they they still won right. Right. <laughs> well, there was also another a phantom uh, call on uh, Taylor Decker on the uh, offsides or uh, a false start before the half when the Lions had the momentum going out of the field and they had to force the punt. And after that, the offense is stalled on both ends. So it kind of evens out both ways. But then they got that onus 32-year no playoff wins. That was actually their only second win in the Super Bowl era, believe it or not. Second playoff win in the Super Bowl era. Uh, the first being, uh, in, I think, 1991. They beat the Dallas Cowboys before the start of the Cowboys dynasty in the 90s. So the city has been extremely starved. And you can understand why they were able to break the decibel level or noise level throughout that game and then carried on to the next game against Tampa, Probably got a bit of a break that Green Bay beat Dallas so that they can host the second playoff game. Maybe a little bit of the playoff gods kind of working in their favor, evening out from the phantom reporting eligible call in Dallas. I mean, but, I'm not complaining. Uh, the Niners are on a bye week being the one seed. And then, you know, next thing you know, no Rams, no Eagles, no Cowboys. Much appreciated, guys. Correct. But winning that game 
all of a sudden was a became an uh, expectation because beginning before the season, a lot of the Lions fans were thinking, okay, win the division, one home playoff victory would be the goal. And then kind of the goalposts might have been moved a little bit once you find out that the opponent is Tampa quarterbacks Baker Mayfield, you know, rebuilding Tampa. It's not Dallas on the road. It's not Philly on the road. Move the goalposts a little bit. So now we're here against the Niners. And if you want to say, you know, they're playing with a little bit of house money, maybe us talking heads on the outside could say that. But definitely the inside the locker room, I believe they feel like they can win this game. That's actually what's important, not what the hell we think. And they believe that they're going to go out and they're more than a worthy opponent for the 49ers. And it's it's funny how you mentioned house money because, I mean, Campbell, that's how he's been playing. He's been super aggressive on fourth down, as you've seen, for, for better or worse at times, or going for two, whether you're at the one or at the seven-yard line. Like, that's his mantra. And um, I don't know. I, I Actually, because of the Niners struggling, they should have lost whatever playoffs, you know, they should have lost against uh, against the Packers last week, but they escaped one. But because they struggled, you know, now there's a lot of pundits that are pointing their fingers on, on Purdy, uh, pointing their fingers on the team. Shanahan and his clock management, per usual, right before halftime, as you guys saw the previous week, and saying, like, hey, you know, uh, the Lions are, um, you know, they're on the come up, and you should watch out for them because they're aggressive. Uh, they... they they have nothing to lose, and you know they have a big upset factor to to them. The the thing that I'm gonna give the Lions some flack for is, I mean, you guys barely beat the Rams, and you know all things all things considered, like the Bucks, like <laughs> they were down two scores with like what five minutes, and they they got it within a score to to tie the game. Uh, I don't necessarily agree with the two point conversion the first time around, but you know the Lions have. For a lack of words, they they barely scraped by two on, on some inferior competition, in, in, in my opinion, especially at home, indoors, and now you're going to go to Santa Clara at Levi Stadium. That's that's kind of the the thing that I'm pushing forward, and and that's why I think that the Niners have their best football ahead, especially after escaping a a bullet against the Packers. Uh, well, addressing your first point about Dan Campbell, a lot of people talk about like the growth of the team and the up and coming maturity and the process of winning that actually applies to a coach as well. And he definitely was very reckless with the going for the fourth down and then the punting fake punts, et cetera, et cetera, early. But a lot of those decisions were because they were just simply outmanned. Like if you go back and watch their first game against the Rams uh, back in 2021, uh, when they were like, Oh, and five or whatever the start, like he pulled out all the tricks during that game. You saw like weird onside kicks. You saw going for it from, the, their negative 40 you, you saw going for twos you saw going for every single fourth down but he's definitely scaled back a little bit and one thing that's really helped is clinching the division early and then having the dallas game later this year and then the second vikings game kind of as a you know a test playoff scenario i guess or, or, or a test bed where they can kind of experiment and go back to the Dan Gamble ways. So you did see the fake punt again. You did see the going for it from the seven-yard line. You did see more calculated deep shots down the field. And that's, 
I believe is just very, very on purpose to put those plays back onto the tape so that in these playoff situations, it's something for the opponent to consider. Uh, in terms of uh, scraping by and beating uh, two teams that uh, they were expected to be at home, Rams, I think at that time, probably top eight team can be, you can argue coming, they were coming in. out pretty hot. It's not going to lie. Yeah, they were, they were hot at, at that point. A one point win. I, I think anybody would taking it. We're talking about 30 something years of fulfillity and then getting rid of the whole Stafford era. And then the, the golf McVeigh issues as well as any other illness part of their history just, just eviscerated that one game. And I don't care if it was by one point or 30, they were just happy to get away with a W. Uh, in terms of Tampa, they are a stingy defense. They had a ton of holdover still back from the Tampa 2020 COVID year uh, championship team. So it wasn't going to be that easy to move the ball. And they have fast linebackers that can cover, which is something that kind of gives you a preview for San Francisco. Uh, and then Baker, if you want to call this a regenerative uh, revitalize, revitalization project was definitely playing for a this time now a long term co- contract. So getting away with the win, we'll take the second one as well. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree. So let's head into the matchup at hand, Jason. I don't know how you want to break it. Uh, I have a couple thoughts of why the Niners are. I won't say they're going to steamroll the Lions, but why I feel confident going into Sunday. And I'm sure you have a couple thoughts as well. What, what the Lions should come away with the potential upset. Um, how do you want to go this? How do you want to go about this, Jason? Um, uh, you can give your reasons first and I'll give a couple of reasons and then we can go from there. Okay, cool. Well, you know, you guys had the number five run defense. You guys are are very aggressive. You know, um, you guys put five, six guys at, at the line. Uh, you know, going back to Campbell, that that's how he is. That's his mantra. That's his personality. But your secondary, um, I think it ranks what thirtieth. It's it's been pretty. Oh bad. yeah, it's 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 terrible. But one of the big signings from the Niners, ironically, Emmanuel Mosley tore his ACL. Yeah, two yeah. plays into the season. Therefore, their number one cornerback or our number one quarterback, Cam Sutton, who's probably more like a number two, is being stretched right now, and he's on this streak of Justin Jefferson twice, and then Chris Olave, Keenan Allen, Ceedee Lamb. Puka, Mike Evans, he's he's done his best. Let's put it that way. And yeah. 140 yards. I, but the important thing is all of our favorite terminology from the defense is bend but don't break. I, We all hate it as fans, but at least in the last couple of weeks and in the first couple of weeks of the playoffs, it's worked. They've given up the yardage and then they've tightened up in the red zone. Now, a lot of that is because their corners are not exceptionally fast. So they are susceptible to give up long plays and long drives uh, in between the twenties, but within the twenties, Aaron Glenn's scheme, uh, Aaron Glenn, who's up for a couple of coaching gig head coaching gigs, by the way, does seem to favor tilt the favor back into the lions. And that's how they've been surviving is just, figuring a way how to get field goals or very timely blitzes to push teams out of field goal range when necessary. So that's why they've been able to give up all these yardage, but not necessarily give up 
that many points. And you know what? I I welcome the pressure because you know uh, they they recognize that, and they've been sending you know they they do disguise coverages and blitzes and whatnot. But um, I think it's going to be a big Brandon Ayuk game. As much as people talk about Kittle and CMC and and Debo, um, you know that outside receiver, whether it's been Mike Evans or Justin Jefferson, as, as you alluded to, uh, they're they're pretty damn weak on the outside. And I know a lot of people feel some sort of way about Purdy, and obviously. Some of his, of his mishaps on Saturday, but you know when when pressured, pretty actually does pretty damn well against the pressure. I believe he's averaging about ten yards um, per, per completion when pressured. And going back to that in terms of pressure and, and protection, I feel pretty good about this Niners defense. Not necessarily from the edges because between Nick Bosa and Chase Young, not gonna lie, you, you guys have some. Solid bookends with uh, Panay Sewell and and Taylor Decker. You could say for every Trent Williams, you have Sewell, who's who's the first first team All Pro as well. But I don't know if you guys saw, but your your center got hurt like not once but thrice. Uh, I think it was uh, was it Frank Frank Ragnow? Frank Ragnow. Ragnow. Um, so between Eric Armstead and Javon Hargrave, like for a immobile quarterback and. You let me know otherwise, but I, I think Jerry Goff's a statue. So if he puts the A gap, puts the p- pressure up front to him, I think he's going to fold. And I think this is a prime time mismatch for, for the Lions to to fold and to, to get some turnovers, uh, to give up some turnovers to the to the Niners. So obviously, uh, there's a lot of pressure on Bosa to make a move, but I actually am putting a, a lot of spotlight onto Eric Armstead and Javon Hargrave, especially since. Your interior offensive line has been compromised. Uh, right. Uh, to address your first point on Ayuk and attacking the outside, in terms of the passing game, that's probably where San Francisco is likely going to look, mainly because, as I mentioned before, the outside corners not having a lot of speed. The second corner is Kendall Vildor, who I believe was a UDFA yes. uh, at one point. And then the if you want to call it the strength of the Lions, is actually in the safety box. So they did sign C.D. Deuce. Uh, they have Ify Malentanu. I don't know if I pronounced that name correctly. I haven't said that name a lot. He was actually the first pick from the Stafford trade. And then they also have Brian Branch as well, who's a really good corner that they drafted yeah. uh, this year. But those, and it's been asked a million times on the threads and whatever the Detroit shows, can they cover outside? And the answer is no. <laughs> Therefore, the the place to attack is outside the numbers and probably not inside. So I don't know if Purdy, uh, that's where his progressions go through. And then you mentioned the offensive line. The There was a big injury uh, last week to Jonah Jackson, who's a left guard. Uh, he made the Pro Bowl last year. So you got the backup guard. Uh, yeah, there's a, there's a backup guard. Uh, I won't... Uh, Kai, I'm going to butcher his name. Kayuse Ayusake or something along those lines. Uh, he like gave up pressures, so something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So, so I think seven pressures, uh, according to PFF, uh, as soon as he came in the game. So therefore, they're probably going to run away from him and towards the side where Sewell uh, is on during the uh, run game. And then uh, the Hargrave and uh, Armstead combination up the middle. Uh, yeah, that's going to probably give Goff problems because. Uh, pressure up the middle is what most quarterbacks hate, and Goff's no different. Uh, if he's coming around the sides, he's 
pretty good about climbing the ladder and then avoiding the pressure from the outside, but up the middle, yeah, that's where you get some of the weird back backfooted throws and then two hand chest pass towards the end zone. Those kind of things might arise if you get pressure up the middle. Right. And then the third factor, it's not really a specific, it's more of this X factor mentioned before Niners. They, they should have lost honestly to the Packers, like special teams, defense, offense, all three aspects were complete failures. Like the first three quarters, honestly, like they allowed a big, kickoff return after a you know a very convincing CMC touchdown the offense was sputtering for the majority of the game with the exception to to the last drive the defense I don't know what was wrong with their cleats but they were slipping they gave up like two easy touchdowns uh but at, at you know the final stretches for the Niners you know the, the Packers they had six red zone trips but they only allowed 21 points and the, the Niners, despite all these variables, they, they found a way to win. And so, you know, my, my biggest takeaway as they go into the NFC Championship game is, you know, they, they've they been there. Brock Purdy, is, this is going to be his second time, but this team, this is three back-to-back-to-back NFC Championship appearances by the Niners. And more importantly, um, despite all that, despite what happened last year against the Eagles, despite... Shout out to Jaquiski Tart against the Rams the previous year. And now you're heading into this third NFC championship game. I mean, I, I think they they put it together. I think that because they were able to dodge the attack of the Packers. And by the way, you know, the Rams, you mentioned they were red hot against the Lions. Well, so were the Packers convincingly defeating the Cowboys. And so for the Niners to to come away with not their best win, but it was probably their greatest win of the season. Going into that game for a Kyle Shanahan team, they were 0-30, down five points or more going into the fourth quarter. This was the first time that Shanahan... Right, I, I, I remember that. And what's so funny is they had the option to kick the field goal before the end of the quarter. And I was thinking in my head, why don't they kick the field goal before the quarter so they can be down four going into the fourth if they, they didn't want the <laughs> trend to be against them. But they ended up settling on kicking afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> And now that record's gone. <laughs> and heading into the fourth, that was the biggest stat that was on the TV screen. <laughs> 0 and 30, 0 and 30. I'm like, yeah, you're right. I know. I know. Every everyone knows that's the elephant in the room about Shanahan. To, to be so, fair, how, how many of those were with uh CJ Beathard and Dick Mullins as QB and Garoppolo and 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 that's the thing about the sports <laughs> stakes. They 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 take these stats and you know, it's it's no coincidence of, of how they scheme it up. It, context matters, obviously, but <laughs> They use those numbers as such. And so for, for Purdy, for Shanahan to finally get that over the hump, uh, even Fred Warner had alluded to earlier in the season when they were on their three-game losing streak that, hey, you know, the chips aren't always going to be in your favor. You're going to have to win a gritty game. And they finally did. And so that what's, that that X factor is what's making me feel really good against the Lions because, you know, the Lions, uh, not going to lie, you know, they have a lot of different parallels on their offense. For every Christian McCaffrey, you have a Jabari Gibbs. For every... It's Jameer Gibbs, by the way. Oh, my God. That's why I have you on the pod to, to correct. <laughs> for every Brandon Ayuk, you have an Amon St. Brown. Like, you know, for every George Kittle, you have Sam Laporta. So you can make a case that they can go hand for hand, blow for blow against the Niners. But I just know that this Niners team... You're going to have your best football ahead of you. And so that's my third factor for uh, for the Niners, I guess. 
Right. And it's like kind of funny because both teams kind of have like history hanging over them. Detroit being like the futile history and then 49ers being the recent NFC championship Super Bowl history hanging over their heads. That's why, as you mentioned, I, I think the key about like 49ers being a little tight for the Packers game, I think the key is are the Lions still hanging around about maybe at the middle of the third quarter? Because we know that Shanahan likes to defer and then have the double dip before the end of the halftime and then coming out of halftime. And then Dan Campbell, he recently changed his philosophy to take the ball because he wants to get up 14 nothing because of the record of if you get out 14 nothing, how very, very likely you are to win the game. And then it gets the other team out of their run scheme and then out of play action, et cetera, et cetera. Therefore, as long as the Lions are still around in the middle of the third quarter, then that's when maybe the 49ers might start creeping a little bit in their head of, oh my God, what are the talk shows going to say? The pressure, are we going to be back here? What are we going to do? Is Shanahan going to falter again, et cetera, et cetera. But hopefully we see a good game and that's what we that, that's what might happen. I mean, I, I would love to be up two scores. The Packers game, they could never get to the two scores, as I alluded to, with, with the red zone. They could only get up seven. They could never get over that hump. Uh, shout out to the missed kick by by that rookie kicker. But, um, yeah, uh, if the Niners are up by by two scores or more, that's when Bosa, Chase Young, and them boys can really enjoy themselves. And uh, that's, why, uh, that's why the Niners run defense, like, I'd say it's very – that set is very flawed. Like I believe on paper that they have a top 15 run defense, but it's because the, the opposition didn't really have that many rushing attempts because they were down most games against the Niners. Uh, but what I've seen the last couple of weeks, um, the run defense is pretty suspect, especially, you know, shout out to the Packers, but uh, they took the possession to open the game and, they ran it down their throats. They they got the time of possession. They took the wind out of the crowd, and it it works for for the for the most part. The only thing that didn't work for the Packers is they couldn't get more touchdowns in the red zone. So. Right, and then th- there's actually a good piece by I think Dan Orlovsky. He talks about the pinch and pull, which is I, I I don't know what that means. I don't know enough about football, but basically it looks like it's some sort of outside uh, pitch of the football that they ran the Packers ran to Aaron Jones in which you have a misdirection uh, coming in the backfield where the jet sweep goes one way. And then you get, you pull the lineman going the other way. And that's what the Packers were able to do to generate three explosive plays during the Niners game, including that whatever the 50, 60 yard scamper by Aaron Jones was using that exact play design and, the Lions probably will look at that and probably find a similar concept using Amon Ross St. Brown, who they love to motion in the backfield, and then pulling Panay Sewell to the other side. And Panay Sewell is capable of blocking multiple people without even really blocking them a lot of times. He's just like running towards them and they'll just get out of the way. Uh, and then this game probably is going to lean more towards a Jameer Gibbs type of game as opposed to Montgomery. So probably. My guess is Ben Johnson, the OC, is going to be more tempted to use lightning versus thunder. thunder. Oh, I was going to say, good, good one. Exactly, to try to spark those explosive plays, especially in the middle parts of the game. 
maybe in the beginning of the game, end of the game, if they're fortunate enough to have the lead, they'll probably use Montgomery to try to wear out the defense. But I, I think it's going to be a lot of Gibbs in this game. Okay, if I'm going to put a fourth variable, it's going to have to be that Niners run defense. It's going to be Gibbs, Montgomery versus Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw because they haven't been good recently. And uh, I'm sure the Lions have taken notes of what the Packers did for sure. Well, they're definitely going to try to establish the run. The key is just obviously not getting down by more than two scores. And then the play action, which Goff is really good at, becomes null and void. Yeah. Uh, we want uh, Jared Goff uh, in the pocket as a statue and get some saccharinis, as Nick Bosa would would love to say. So those are my thoughts about the Niners. Go, go ahead. Uh, that's why I have you on this pod for this crossover, because I can't even pronounce Gibbs' first name right. So take it away with, with any lines. Takes and insights that I, I might be missing in regards to this matchup. Uh, you kind of alluded to it. If the Lions are going to win, they're going to have to rely on their offense, and it's going to have to start with establishing the run and getting play action so that it's effective and being able to get certain situ- certain receivers in situations where they're capable of getting yak yards, specifically Amon Ra, St. Brown, uh, Josh Reynolds, uh, Laporta, and then maybe a home run hit to Jamison Williams sprinkled in there just to stretch the field vertically. Otherwise, if they're put into a lot of third and longs, the windows get really, really tight. And while Goff does have great chemistry with Amon Ross St. Brown or Josh Reynolds or Laporta on those third and longs, it's going to be pretty, pretty tough against the Niners defense. The Niners have obviously really highly rated PFF corners uh, and safeties. And those windows on those third and longs that are already very small get even smaller and there's probably not going to be a lot of flags thrown. So you just got to stay out of those third and longs and don't allow, as you say, uh, those saccharoni situations to be happened where the defense can uh, pin their ears back Uh, moving forward. uh, Yes. As you mentioned, the strength of the lions is the run defense last year. They were just terrible on defense altogether and it seems like that there was a shift by Aaron Glenn that says all right we can't be good at we can't not be good at anything on defense so we're just going to focus on one thing to be good at and they just chose all right we're going to stop the run and they have they haven't allowed a 100 yard rusher at all this season except yep. for Justin Fields if but you know if he's a quarterback but they haven't in terms of a, a traditional running back they have not given up 100 yards and they're coming in with the philosophy, hey, we're going to stop the run, which is kind of counterintuitive to today's NFL of stopping the pass. Mm-hmm. And what their assumption is that if we stop the run, we'll get enough third and longs and eventually we'll get a stop or turnover or holding, something that pushes you back or something that stalls to drive back as well. And then because you did not establish the run, then our zone red zone defense, their red zone deficiency is actually efficiency is pretty good on defense because the run hasn't been established on the offense, if you get what I'm saying. So uh, the lot, don't break because the secondary isn't going to get it done. It's got to be right. They're kind of relying on the uh, condensed field. And then they're also hoping uh, to put in 
teams in as many third and longs as possible. And they are very, very capable of giving up a lot of third and longs. So just because it's third and 15 plus, <laughs> trust me, for people that follow the Lions, it's probably like a 50-50 coin toss <laughs> on that being a conversion. We've seen a lot of third and longs completed this year. So yeah. we're going to all be on our edge of our seats uh, when it's third and long or fourth and long in those situations as well. Uh, the other part where I think that the Lions might have a bit of an advantage is on special teams. I know you know people don't want to say special teams is a third or third or third. It's probably more like you know 45, 45, 10. But they do have a really good kick uh, punter in Jack Fox. He's Ooh, really good at that. Yeah, he's really good at pinning people and hang time inside the twenties. Uh, their kick return team was pretty good with Khalif Freeman, but he's actually out for this game. But they still are pretty sound when it comes to uh, kick returns. Uh, and then they marginally improved their field goal kicking. They got a little bit uh, more range back, which with uh, Michael Badgley, Badgley, former Charger, right? Uh, I believe so. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so they 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 had Riley Patterson earlier, and he didn't have a leg above fifty, so they went back with Badgley. I wouldn't say it's a strength, but so far he's been really good this season. No complaints yet, but that's probably one of the tendencies of why they go for it so much on the plus side of the forty and thirty is because they haven't had that long range kicker. Mm-hmm. But so far they've put their kickers in good situations, and as long as he's making all his extra points and anything within the forty, uh, I think they're pretty happy with the field goal unit okay okay um another elephant in the room so like jerry goff and, and the niners like they're no strangers like jerry goff has played in the nfc west for several years obviously being with the rams and his track record against the niners i know obviously it's 2024 things are different he's on a different team he's on a different scheme for for that matter but uh for the most part, Jerry Goff has folded uh, against the Niners, and he has struggled at Levi's. Um, what what makes this this year's version of Jerry Goff any different from the Goffs that we've seen in in years past, where he, he you know he can't win it? Uh, well, well, what's kind of lost in the whole uh, after the three point Super Bowl fiasco, and then the following two seasons is the fact that the Rams O line plummeted from. I think they won the award, whatever that team award is for the offensive line to, I think in the twenties and they just had attrition after attrition. And as a result, his confidence just got shot because he was just taking too many hits. And a lot of it was at that time because of, uh, I think Robert Sadler was the defensive coordinator and he was just sending blitz after blitz and just knocking him back. And yeah, they were pretty terrible games. And then I think that was the one game that, uh, broke the the straw that broke the camel's back uh, when McVay basically just trashed golf after a game. I think he threw three interceptions against the Niners. But right now I would say at this time, we still have people asking, Oh, is golf a better quarterback now? Or when he was uh, the second year, year with McVay. I I mean, I I think it's night and day at this point at that time, he was just kind of, uh, I would say kind of a, tool i say to kind of a little chess piece so that mcveigh can whisper in his ear 15 seconds before the clock and I mean, literally it's, yeah it's bill belichick you already know the story about the defense and what they did to to disguise themselves obviously right right and then like there, there would be like the one or two reads that a, a good defense would be able to take away but you can definitely tell now he he settles in and when he has time and he needs to go through the second third fourth 
progression. He has the confidence to do so. And that you can already tell that's not, if you want to call it like the, the system quarterback of, oh, only throwing to wide open people. It, it's definitely not that have a quarterback. He he has a lot of what they call big time throws and by PFF in which he's squeezing them into tight windows on the third and fourth reads. Uh, again, sometimes double coverage because he has those timing routes down. Those t- I think they're coming timing and choice routes down with Amon Ross St. Brown and Laporta and Reynolds. That That's kind of what I would lean to in terms of oh, what might be different this time. Yeah, no, I I, I would agree. And uh, I'm intrigued. I feel kind of bad, but from this season, that, that really is, he's kind of making his comeback because he went from sunny LA to getting traded to freaking Detroit. Like, and by, by the way, the Rams go on to win the Super Bowl the very next season after. It's it was pretty tough sledding for uh for our boy Jared Goff. Is there? I have a matchup in hand that I'm really intrigued at. But is there a specific PVP, a player versus player matchup that I'm, I won't say is going to be the highlight of the game, but something that you're really intrigued to see? You can be on uh-huh. side of the football. Your your choice. Uh, on offense, it definitely would be the left guard spot. Uh, if there's push and the pocket is collapsing from the inside, I, I think the the lines are screwed. So it, it, I'll be watching that very intently uh, during the first quarter of the game to see if there is push on the inside and then if the running game is can be established on the left side on the of the offense. On defense, uh, I'm probably going to shy away from Ken Sutton because that'd be too easy of a choice to say, but I would yeah. probably have to say like Aiden has to somehow get home. I, I if I recall, like is your right tackle probably the weak link on the offensive you, uh, line? You took my I had that in mind. So let, let's go ahead and uh double down on that. So our, our boy Colton McKivitz, he's the right tackle. First year starter, he took over from Mike McGlinchey, who got paid uh, in Denver, whatever. But uh, he has allowed about – he's the only offensive lineman for the Niners that has allowed double-digit sacks. I believe he's allowed 10 sacks for this season. Uh, the right side in general, uh, both the guard and the tackle, the right side is pretty pretty weak versus like Trent Williams on the left side. Like most of those touchdown runs you see from CMC and Debo, it's on the left side. <laughs> Let's just say that. Right. But I what I've kind of seen this – on defense throughout the year. And I kind of saw this with uh, Max Crosby as well. These teams that have one freak athlete on one side, but no other pressure on the other side, any pocket aware quarterback can kind of navigate and avoid pressure. If it's just coming from one side. And I think Aiden has about a hundred or so pressures this year, but from the other side, I think the second most is Ali McNeil, and he only has like 20 or like 30. It's really not unbalanced. So there's definitely ways to for Purdy to avoid the rush coming from the right side uh, if he's able to just kind of move up in the pocket uh, and then kind of be aware of, of what's going on. I could say the same thing about the Niners and Nick Bosa. Hutchinson and Bosa, they're very, very similar in the sense where the opposite side, I, I mean – Chase Young, good on paper. Randy Gregory via trade, good on paper. But uh, they haven't matched on paper of what they were supposed to be. Uh, that's why, I, to your point about the left guard position, I think that the interior pressure is going to be very, very important for, for the Niners that they are really going to get home and uh, 
live up to their billing because they only have, I don't know, like 60% of their salary cap invested in the defensive line, you know? <laughs> so I, I just, um, I guess for, for me, I, I would say, you know, going back to what we said earlier about the backers, but it's going to be Jabari Gibbs against uh, Fred Warner. You know, uh, I think that he's your guys' CMC and he's a big reason why you guys have won the, the last couple of games. Obviously I saw him get better and better week over week to end the second half of the season. He's going to be great for fantasy football next year, but uh, I, I think that you can make a case that he is making the uh, comparison to the next CMC. And if you can do it against the Niners, I think that's going to be a great matchup to, to watch. Right. In the beginning of the season, it seemed like his past catching skills was a bit overhyped. He was just being just a check down. But recently, he's been able to run the Texas route and then some of the choice routes pretty well, isolated oh. on linebackers, which is really key because once he gets a space, he can easily turn you know a five, six yard gain into 15, 20, very simply. Yeah. Um, and I think uh, another X factor, I don't know if it's going to be Josh Reynolds or if it's going to be Jameson Williams, but the Niners secondary outside of Traverius Ward, it's oh, Traverius Ward, Lenore, they're solid, but their third corner, Embry Thomas, he's the one that allowed two PI calls for like 70 yards against the Packers. He's the weakest link. And so if he's if he's going to be in the slots or in the outside or however it goes, uh, Jameson Williams or Josh Reynolds could be your guys' X factor because if I'm Ben Johnson, I will be targeting Embry Thomas every time. Let's just say that he he's a uh, who who's your second cornerback that's undrafted the starter Endor uh, Vildor, yeah, another parallel because uh, both of them are pretty. Uh, I mean, they hold up until they don't. If you catch my drift, uh, m- m- most teams are hiding second, third yeah. cornerbacks and linebackers. It's just the way salary cat NFL how it works, but there's probably going to be a lot of man beater routes that will be. If it's man for sure, I think an Amon Ra is shut down. They're probably going to look that way. Mm-hmm. But from from what I understand and what I can sell, the offense tends to look for Amon Ra, St. Brown first, and then Laporta, and then Reynolds is the proverbial safety blanket uh, for Goff. So if that happens to be the matchup, it's probably going to be targeted a couple times on important third downs. Okay. Okay. Yeah. No. Let's go ahead and wrap this up. Um... You know, I really appreciate your insight, and I learned a couple of new things about the Lions, especially how to. It's not Jabari Gibbs. What's his Jameer. I, I don't know how to spell it, but it's Jameer. Your Gibbs. I've been saying Jabari. So even on the pod earlier, I said Jabari every time. So thank you for that. Thank you for correcting me. Uh, any any final thoughts about this game? Anything else you want to put uh, put on blast or whatever uh, about this matchup? No, but what what are your thoughts about the AFC game going before the NFC game? Or would you rather have that flipped, or do you like to have the anxiety of waiting around for the first game to finish before and knowing who you're going to play? They've typically done it that way, right? Year over year. I, I think I, they rotate. They rotate. They rotate the AFC and NFC. Okay, okay. If that's the case, I I like it. You know, um, save I because obviously I'm the NFC, I'm just the West, but save the best for last. I I like, it's an interesting slot, especially uh, Pacific Standard Time for a 3.30 game, 6.30 Eastern Standard Time. Um, it gets me prepped up and ready. Obviously, there's some anxiety going into it, but you know you can have a, let's just say this, you can have a more fulfilling day as you lead into the NFC Championship. Uh, for 
the Chiefs and Ravens game, I mean, there's however you spin it, if the Niners do win, as I project them to do, they're going to be playing the Ravens or the Chiefs, and they've played both of them in the Super Bowl in years past. So uh, it's great. Oh, it's yeah, that's right. <laughs> Harbaugh or Mahomes, like there, there's a storyline to be had, right? Uh, Reed, obviously, with the Eagles, uh, all his – the, 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 the color of the logos yeah there's there's plenty of story lines exactly uh i think it's probably going to be the ravens i just think that they're the the better team and i don't know if this chiefs defense can really hold this ravens offense like i think they're firing on all cylinders i haven't seen anything otherwise up to this point uh you can make a case that the chiefs have been going back to about matchups and whatnot but they've been barely scraping by uh, I know a lot of people are, are I, I guess the sexy pick would be the Chiefs because of the Mahomes factor, uh, but I feel relatively confident that the Ravens should be able to get it done. And for Lamar Jackson's sake, uh, to make his case as true MVP of this league. Right. I mean, this is a technically a rebuilding year for the Chiefs, so what they've done is already quite impressive, if you ask me. I, I would agree. I would agree. And, um, you know, Rasheed Rice is their top receiver. He's a rookie. Kelsey's getting longer in the, in the tooth. Uh, yeah, they're they're a defensive team now, which is crazy if you think about it from like three, four years ago. And by the way, the Chiefs, this is like their sixth AFC championship game under Mahomes, which is crazy. It's like, uh, I, I saw some crazy stat. He's like 13 and three in the playoffs. Like most people would take that in a regular season. Like 13 and three in the playoffs is just insane it's like another it's like lebron i, I don't know like you you always see him you're always used to seeing him in, in the finals or whatever it's it's ridiculous it's ridiculous uh what do you think about the game afc uh i i i don't i i would wouldn't be the best person to ask but i i think baltimore has way too much talent and i if i had to choose i think this is the year they get over the hump so to speak, or at least Lamar gets over the hump. Uh, what I saw in when they played the Lions, and obviously when they played the Niners, they are so fast on defense. And I don't think Lamar has been running a lot this year, but it's the playoffs, and yeah, he, he's probably gonna he's probably gonna take off. And it's not on tape, and it's not something that you can really prepare for or scheme for. Yeah, the Chiefs better be get. Uh... Well, they got their um, they were cut out for them because uh, tackling wise, they they struggled against the Bills, and now you get Lamar Jackson. So, we'll see, we'll see. The game at hand, obviously, the Lions and the Niners. I think the Niners will, you know, from all the things that I mentioned, I think that the Niners are the better team, offensively, top five. Lions are middle of the pack. Um, I think that the Niners have their best football ahead of them, and. Going back to Jared Goff, the Niners struggle against mobile quarterbacks. Jared Goff is far from that, and he's not playing indoors. The Niners get it done. Give me 31 to 24. Um, right at the spread, I guess, of seven points, but 31 24. Uh, and onwards to Vegas for the Super Bowl. What say you, Jason? I would probably have a similar type of score. I think the Niners can actually cover with the late touchdown uh, to pull ahead and then hold on defense to cover the spread. So if I had to guess a number, probably 
34-24 with that touchdown coming late to ice the game. For the That's Niners? Yeah, for, for the Niners, for the Niners, for the Niners. I, I think the uh, Lions, their needs going into next year, and I'm stealing this from, uh, I think, one of the radio announcers for the Lions, their needs are cornerback and a second pass rusher. But unfortunately, that is not solved in one week between the division series and <laughs> division cha- and the and the conference championship so therefore that's something they're going to look at next season but for this season that's probably what's going to break their back and you know it's been a great season but i i think this is probably where it comes to the end oh i thank you i thought you i thought you were going to take detroit um no but i've been lis- listening to a lot of the local radios and it's 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 so funny how much homerism and optimism there is for the local fan base and since i'm not technically a local fan i'm not as susceptible to fall into the kind of the wave and then the trajectory of starting to see rosy color blue color honolulu blue kool-aid and you know yeah. those kind of analogies drink the honolulu blue kool-aid at this that, that's probably what i want to say instead of seeing the rosy color <laughs> outcomes <laughs> two final thoughts just came in my head uh came in my head uh, disregard that twitter officially said per adam Schefter that deeple samuel he's been dealing with his shoulder uh he's off the injury report altogether he is playing for sure and set, shout out to your boy cj Carter Johnson. I know he was talking some shit about Debo being a a running back or that can't run routes. So he's going to be playing and then uh, going back to Purdy, you know, whether it's Ryan Clark, Greg Jennings, uh, Ham Newton. uh, There's been a lot of talk about which really makes a a good quarterback. And if Brock Purdy can uh, play a better game than last Saturday, uh, it'll go a long way towards his candidacy as a legitimate quarterback for this Niners franchise so I right and what's what's funny for the Super Bowl is either way you have it you're gonna have system quote-unquote system quarterback going against dynamic playmaker in the Super Bowl regardless of what the outcome is so it's definitely going to be a very interesting juxtaposition either way that's true yeah good point Mahomes Jackson golf pretty yeah it's no other way to spin. Okay. Um, all right, guys. Well, hey, I appreciate everyone's time for checking out the pod. Our second pod of the week, uh, special guest, Jason Wayne. Thank you so much for your time. Continue to check out the pod, whether it's on Spotify or Apple Music or Google or wherever you get your podcasts. Instagram at Just the West, Twitter at Just the West. Oh, that Twitter, X, X at Just the West. And of course, the blog, www.justthewest.com. Jason, I appreciate your time. Until next time, fellas. Peace. Peace. Go Niners.